0: To start listening. Hey everybody, I'm Logan Camden.
2: I'm Carson Brabber.
3: And this is Nerd Sesh.
0: No. Oh my God, how could he do that? Are you on, to-
2: what?
4: Charles Darwin.
2: Alright, well Logan, today on Nerd Sesh, we have some reckoning to do because last week we had a couple of proud Chiefs fans on the podcast We got ready for what we were predicting was going to be a double-digit victory for the Chiefs, and we were so terribly wrong, about as wrong as we possibly could have been. So to compensate for that, today we're going to bring on another football enthusiast, a good friend of ours, and also maybe a vengeful 49ers fan, because I've learned the Niners fan base is still very, very, very angry about last year. I saw some of that come out recently that I did not know was still there, so Jack, how are you doing today? I didn't even say your name. Jack Johnson is the fellow who we have on today. Jack, how are we doing today?
4: Yeah, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I had actually texted uh, Carson last night just saying, you know, I, I had really enjoyed the podcast of the, uh, the Guaranteed Chiefs celebration tour, um, but I was, waiting on, I was waiting on what I believe to be inevitable, and that is the greatest quarterback of all time securing his seventh Super Bowl title. At home, uh, and it really came as uh, no surprise, maybe a little bit of a surprise, but a great joy to me. Uh, one of the more enjoyable Super Bowls that I have ever watched uh, from a bar table at Chili's.
2: So last year we had Peyton and Gabe on after the Super Bowl. I think going forward, that probably has to be the way we go about things because it had the feel of a victory tour before there had been a victory. I would say, due largely to Gabe Swartz. But I was pretty confident. Logan, you were pretty confident. So let's get into this now. Now, Jack, you said that you felt that it was inevitable that Brady and the Bucks would come out on top. Logan, we were terribly wrong. So I'll pose the question, why were we so wrong, Logan? And Jack, why did you have that confidence and what was the key to the Bucs' victory? So, Logan, let's start with you.
3: Well, I think first what Jack touched on, uh, they were at home. I think I completely underestimated Tampa's home field advantage going into the half. Those fans were raucous. I mean, they... You could hear the Brady chants from the bleachers. Uh, I think we greatly underestimated that factor um, of the game. But I also think we underestimated the value of Kansas City starting tackles. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was getting harassed all game. That was obviously the biggest factor. Uh, The Buccaneers front four being able to get so much pressure. They got 16 during the game. Um, And Mahomes just didn't look like himself. He he tried his hardest. The receivers weren't catching passes. I mean – I think we also underestimated the malleability of the Buccaneers defense. I didn't expect this young secondary that has improved all season long to be able to drop into cover three, drop into cover four, and just completely X out every receiver, every weapon in this Chiefs offense. I just think, from my perspective, from I think everybody on the pod, we just completely underestimated the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, Jack, I want to hear why why you weren't surprised at all, why you expected this outcome.
4: Yeah, so, Logan, the Chiefs are a prime example of – It's not a Super Bowl hangover as much as it is you are are the best team in football or the best team in your American sports league uh, without a question. But there's some form of expectation uh, that gets placed on a team like the Chiefs that they don't quite know how to handle yet. Um, And I'll bring up two teams that in recent memory kind of fit the profile Uh, The first would be 2014 Florida state football. Uh, They just come off a championship run. They were undefeated with Jameis Winston. They run it back the next year and they go undefeated in the regular season, but it was just the most lethargic undefeated season I had seen. There were so many close wins. Um, Another, another team, uh, 2018 golden state warriors. I mean, just the most apathetic team I've ever watched night in night out. I mean, None of them cared. They just fully expected to be in the NBA finals. And I think there was an air of overconfidence with the Chiefs going in uh, that had just been played out all season, that they expected to be in the position that they were in. Uh, And it was almost like someone was forcing them to win all these football games. You know, they were like that kid that was like, you know, crying while he's Millie rocking and just, I mean, it was was basically like, you know, he was just like, oh, you're – going down to the wire with the chargers. And, you know, you're barely making me beat the Falcons. And it's just, it was such uninspired play. And yet they ran off of the chiefs brand that was one or two highlights per game that are going to get replayed over and over on sports center. And so to the casual fan that is just checking in or watching the highlights. Well, they're tearing the league apart. I mean, they're 14 and two, they've dominated, you know, they're still making all these highlight reel plays, but I think the people, you know, like the three of us that really watch the games, so much different attitude about the chiefs this year uh, that they didn't play with the same free flowing style. And uh, you know, you can bring up the injuries, but I think the second part that I want to bring up and post to you three or you two um, is, uh, is Andy Reed. I, I don't think this is a, an indictment on Pat Mahomes at all. I think this is another indictment on Andy Reed uh, and his teams being completely underprepared in championship games. And I think he got bailed out last year by one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And, uh, you know, some blown calls. I'm going to be straightforward with my bias as a Niners fan. There were terrible calls in that game. Um, the Chiefs led uh, the NFL in defensive holding penalties, and the Niners were expecting to get defensive holding penalties, and I they got about zero uh, in the game. And so, yeah, I think Andy Reid got bailed out last year, and I think uh, this year with his clock management at the end of the first half, it's like, there he is. That's Andy. That's the old Andy we know that – Completely blew the Eagles Patriots Super Bowl in 04. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that his overconfidence um, in the game plan that they had designed was the ultimate undoing for the Chiefs on
2: Sunday. So, let me ask you this, Dan. Did you not see some sort of flip of the switch in that game against the Bills because that to me looked like a highly motivated Chiefs team that was locked in on both ends and they were sensational in that game because I agree with you we know there were the seven straight one possession games in the regular season absolutely they approached this team like they approached this season like an NBA team like they were gonna coast and that they were gonna basically not give their full effort for so much of the season but then they got there and I never expected it to be a factor in the Super Bowl and I honestly don't think that that's what I would pin it on above everything else. But do you think that that was really the most important thing? And why do you think it was then that they still couldn't get up to that level in the Super Bowl when it looked like maybe they were there in the game before?
4: You know, I mean, that's, it's a very interesting point because you have to wonder why these teams that are so clearly more talented uh, would, would lose these games. And I think really what it comes down to is, is a sense – of overconfidence. And what I chalk up the Bills win to is you have a team that's been there before you're at home and you're playing against a team that hasn't been there before. And I think the Bills follow the same type of profile for me where upstart teams almost never win in their first season of being an upstart team. They need that kind of humbling loss to go back home and reevaluate. And I think that's why I'm really bullish on the bills going forward is because now that they've gotten that loss out of the way, I mean, I could go over a list of, you know, the Cubs getting dunked on by the Mets in 2015, the Warriors losing to the Clippers and then, you know, going on their run. I, I think that's kind of the bills were just a little bit out of place in the AFC title game. I think if they play that game 10 times, it's six and four or five and five. I don't think, I think the Chiefs were just more ready to play on that day than Buffalo was, and that's okay because the Chiefs have already been in that situation. But the Chiefs had their loss against the Patriots in 2018, and then they that propelled them through the 2019 season onto their Super Bowl victory. So, no, I don't pin it all on overconfidence. I, I think that's a, that's a very narrow view of taking a look at the Chiefs' loss. I think that, obviously, you have to look at the injuries to their tackles, um, and you have to look at the – incredible job that Todd Bowles does. I know we're going to talk about this and and heap praise on Todd Bowles and the Tampa Bay defense. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of logistical ways that this was won, not just by overconfidence, but the air of the team of Kansas city was showing up to me in patterns and trends from week one until week 17 and all the way through the playoffs. And that's why personally Carson, I felt like it was inevitable.
3: And I agree with a lot of what Jack said, especially about um, Andy Reid's overconfidence. In that Bills game, um, they looked hungry. They looked like they were preparing for the second best team in football, which I truly believe. And uh, as for why the Chiefs, I think, played so much better against Buffalo, they, their front four got pressure on Josh Allen all game. They were frustrating him. The Buccaneers made them scared to send that pressure home because of what Fournette and Rojo could do on the ground against this Chiefs defense. But uh, as for the Andy Reid situation, I think this game was evident. In, on those opening drives, the Bucks dropped into cover three and cover four nearly every play, which means those lower, those flat zones, because they're rushing four and they're dropping everybody else back, those flat zones are open. And Andy Reid just expected that those same plays, those same deep shots to Tyreek Hill and Nicole Hardman were going to be open once more like they were in that first matchup. And he didn't even have anybody going on those lower routes as well as he didn't set the tempo on the ground. Clyde Edwards Lair had nine rushes all game long. Like the bucks could send for and drop everybody else in coverage without having to worry about anything. So I do think it goes back to um, Andy Reed, not preparing for his opponent, underestimating the Buccaneers overall. There were, I do think overconfidence had a lot to do with it as well as the injuries. But I think that definitely uh, is a, was a major factor in their loss.
2: So I'm going to answer my own question here, because when I think about why I was so terribly wrong, I thought this was going to be maybe not a blowout, but a convincing win in one direction. And it was an absolute blowout in the opposite direction. And I think part of it is, You can talk about maybe the arrogance of the Chiefs. I thought that they had a deserved air of invincibility, particularly on the offensive end. I did not think that they could be contained like this. I did not think that the Buccaneers could get 29 pressures out of 56 dropbacks. I didn't expect Shaq Barrett to have eight pressures on his own and four quarterback hits in one sack. And what's so incredible is we talked all year, Logan, about how if the Bills were going to beat the Chiefs, it was going to be because they have so many great guys in coverage. And if they can get pressure with four, they have the formula. And there were questions with the Bucs about the back end of this defense the whole time. They were a blitz heavy team for much of the season. They blitz on 9.6% of dropbacks this year, the lowest of any Todd Bowles defense in five years. And obviously the coverage was incredible. And that to me is part of it because when I saw the Bills take basically the right approach last in this last week, I would say a pretty similar approach to the Buccaneers, as far as not going with the blitz heavy, trying to obviously get pressure with four, going with two high safeties, all these things that the Bucs replicated and just did so much better. I just thought Mahomes would still be able to get the quick stuff out. I thought that Reed would scheme around it. And I thought that Mahomes would be able to extend plays with his legs. But I think that's where the difference in this game comes down to the secondary, because that was some of the best coverage on some of the best weapons that I have ever seen. And I'm sure we've all seen now the stat about Mahomes, running 497 yards before he even threw a ball, which is the most in the history that they have tracked that stat. And he's forcing balls too. He threw 10 times into tight windows, was one of 10 in those situations with two picks. So I just never thought, that a team could not only take the Chiefs so far out of the out of their element, but that the Chiefs wouldn't be able to respond. Because I think you make a great point, Logan. There was an opportunity to take the underneath stuff. There was certainly an opportunity to run the ball. They were very successful running the ball with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. They only did it nine times for 64 yards. But if you look at Mahomes, he was 18 of 26 throwing 10 yards or less downfield. He was 8 of 23 throwing further. So you can look at receivers dropping passes you can look at Mahomes missing a couple throws but I think it ultimately comes down to the fact that they maybe didn't take advantages of these small cracks in this Bucks defense that did exist because they were phenomenal I also think though on the Bucks end offensively I did not expect them to run the ball that easily because this Bucks run game has been so up and down sometimes Rojo's been great sometimes they get completely contained and Jones and Fournette combined for 28 carries for 150 yards That opened up the play action for Brady, which was huge. He was 10 of 13 off play action for 135 yards, three touchdowns. And the Bucs were able to put up 31 points without the deep passing game. So I knew that maybe the Bucs were going to try this approach on the defensive end. I just didn't think they could execute it to actual perfection. I didn't think the Chiefs would look as lost as they did. And I didn't think that the Bucs would have it so easy on the offensive end either. So I was just as wrong as I could possibly be. So I want to ask another question then, because Jack... You touched on this earlier when you say that the best or the most talented team didn't win here, and you talk about other examples in which that happened. Football is interesting and in that the best team in football does not always win the title at the end of the day. Do you think that the best team in football won this year?
4: No. No, I, I think it's – I think the better coaching staff uh, was able to bring together I, – I mean – there there should be a 30-for-30 30 30 on this Bucks team uh, down the road. I mean, this was like assembling the cast of Ocean's Eleven, mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of personalities. I mean, you, you've got guys that have been blackballed out of the league almost, like Antonio Brown, Ndamukong sue I mean, when I think of Ndamukong Sue, I, I still think of Ndamukong sue stepping on uh, the Green Bay Packers offensive line on uh, Thanksgiving Day. And when I think of Antonio Brown, I could go in any direction. I'm sure Logan can go, can go in any direction and go a couple miles further than I can, obviously being a, being a yinzer. But you know, the point about it is, is that the Bucks coaching staff, how they were able to mold all these personalities and most importantly, listen to the guy that knows how to mold personalities better than anyone who has ever existed in American sports, Tom Brady. And I think that there's a genuine uh, – and this is, this is somewhat answering your question. It's just in a roundabout way, Carson. But uh, there, there is a genuine line where I believe personally somewhere in that bye week, Brady had gone up to Bruce Arians, uh, Byron Leftwich, and said, hey, look, we've tried it your way, okay? We've had some success. Let's do it my way now. And it just seemed like right then they started to turn the corner. It was, it was less deep shots. It was less deep shots from the shotgun, more on play action. It was more trying to establish the ground game because Brady's always been best, not in a shootout offense, but in a play action offense that runs off of a balanced set use of the tight ends. Hammer Bray, even Gronk started to develop over the course of the season, and it became less about these great receivers and more about the bread and butter for Tom Brady. Tight ends, running backs, you establish the ground game, you work, play action off of that, and then you can get your receivers out in space across the middle. And so, no, I don't think that the Tampa Bay, as as good as they are, we're the more talented team. We're talking about an electric talent in Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, and I'm willing to concede this as much as I like to bash chiefs fans, the most talented quarterback that has ever played the game of football. I mean, the throws that he made, I mean, Richard Sherman tweeted about this last night, what, like nine of the greatest incomplete passes in NFL history. It was remarkable. Just watching the guy almost single-handedly try and drag his underperforming team down the field. Tyree kill his run against the bills. Um, after the catch, Really, that that's his entire career in a nutshell. When I put together the Tyree Kill mixtape, that's the first play I'm showing. Um, there's so many other talents. I mean, Travis Kelsey, probably one of the top five, top three tight ends in history. Um, and so, yeah, and then on the defensive end, Tyron Matthew, who I believe is uh, the defensive MVP of last year's Super Bowl in the victory. Um, you've got good pass rush, uh, but again, the Bucks schemed away from that Kansas City pass rush. Uh, and that's something that Kansas City did not do. And it's a point that you guys made. You can't cover all of the field. It's impossible. You have to give something. And the Bucs said, we're going to give you underneath. And the Chiefs were like, we're not going to take it. We're, we're just not going to take it. We're better than that. We are the Kansas City Chiefs. We throw it deep. You know, We get Travis Kelsey 15 yards on a hook route. Um, and that's what we do. And, and we're even though you're going to hand us three to four yards of carry with Clyde Edwards helaire we're only going to handle the ball nine times. Uh, and so yeah, I think, you know, in a roundabout way, my argument is, yes, you're the more talented team, but you didn't take what the defense gives you. And I think that that comes down to arrogance is, is my
3: point. And I completely agree. I don't think the more talented team won. I think the team that prepared better for this game won. Um, you bring up the play-action numbers, Jack. Uh, Brady was 10 of 13 for 135 yards. All three of his touchdowns were on play-action, and I think the running game for the Buccaneers is what really stood out for me, is why the Chiefs really struggled to just game plan. Um, they continued to drop Tyran Matthews, that third linebacker, and I love Tyran. He's a great coverage guy. He's a great sub linebacker. But when you're not when you don't have that outside, well, first off, when your front four is not getting pass pressure, you need to have those linebackers back to shut down Leonard Fournette because Tyran Matthew was getting bullied. Daniel Sorensen was getting bullied by Leonard Fournette and Roger. They were just running over them just because size wise, they don't compare. So I completely agree. I think the Kansas city chiefs, I agree that Mahomes is the greatest quarterback talent of all time. I think that when you look at this offense, I think it's one of the greatest offenses talent wise of all time, but from a fit of arrogance for whatever it was, if Andy Reid just thought they were going to trounce over Tampa Bay, Kansas city was outmanned. They were underprepared and overwhelmed all game long.
2: So I agree with both of you. I think that the best team in football did not win this year. I think that the chiefs, certainly had the potential to be the best team of this century up to this point, just with obviously offensive talent. Like I would say we have never seen before the bucks do finish the season on eight game win streak. And as you touched on Jack, they did really put it all together in a way that they hadn't before that buy. I still don't think that they were the best team and I'm not making excuses for the chiefs because they got blown out. I do think I'm taking a fully healthy chief squad in that game. And Peyton came on last week and talked about how, maybe the offensive line absences were overrated just because the chiefs were so good at making those adjustments at getting the ball out quickly at surviving injuries to the offensive line. I don't think that that was right at the end of the day. I think when you're missing your two best individual offensive linemen in probably the two most important spots for pass protection, absolutely. You're going to feel that because the bucks would have gotten pressure in that game, no matter what, they probably wouldn't have gotten the most pressure we have ever seen this team face though.
3: And Carson, I think that was the biggest reason the chiefs lost this game. Um, Every week, we, we saw it in the Bills game. We saw it more in the Cleveland game. Teams that don't get pressure, or even teams that do get pressure, it doesn't matter because the Chiefs are so good all season long at using play action and moving the pocket. And so it's this, it's this conundrum, right? Because the Chiefs didn't set the run tempo, they couldn't get the play action RPOs going. Because they couldn't get blocking up front, they couldn't get the defense on their heels at all. They, this offensive line, because of the injuries, they couldn't move the pocket all game long. And I think that was the biggest issue, obviously, when Mahomes is under fire all game long like that, you're not going to, but it's just, it's a conundrum. They didn't, they didn't do anything right offensively, but the biggest issue was they couldn't move the pocket like they had done in every week of the season. And that is why this chief's offense, as Peyton said last week had been able to kind of sustain with no real dominant. uh, Well, I mean, I'd say they have offensive dominant offensive line talent, but even with injuries to their offensive line, they were still able to succeed.
2: So, we all agree that the best team in football didn't win. And we've touched on some of the reasons why, be it arrogance, be it poor coaching, be it just an inability to adapt on the fly. Jack, if you had to say who deserves the most blame for the Chiefs when it comes down to it, with all the things we've talked about, who would you say it is?
4: Well, I wouldn't say it's, it's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and I want to make that clear. I think that anybody uh, that tries to make this game is an indictment on Patrick Mahomes. Uh, th- in, in my opinion, this was – as hunt out to dry as a superstar has been since LeBron on the 07 caps. Um, He performed to the best of his ability. I think those two interceptions were, you know, either caused by frustration or the fact that he had been running for his life the entire game Um, and that he, as great as he is, had lost confidence in his team around him to protect him and get open, which is their job. And he was doing his job. Um, to an incredible extent I think really what it comes down to is is the uh, Kansas City coaching staff Carson I think it it comes down to the preparation uh, and the understanding that you have to do every single thing you can in preparation for a Super Bowl and you have to understand that the for here's an example I'll give you the referee crew I, I don't know who it was run by but um, I had read this last night. Uh, the referee crew threw the most holding and defensive pass interference calls all season long. And Tom Brady, ever the most prepared guy on the field at any time. He's not gonna beat you with his athleticism, but he'll always beat you with his minus preparation, and that's the sign of how great he is. Exploited that on the on the Chiefs side. And the, the thing for me was okay, yeah, they're dropping back into cover four. They're dropping back into cover three. And there were moments where Mahomes looked so disgusted that McCole Hardman was sitting in the flat. There was no one around him. But instead of taking the six-yard gain, he just seemed almost offended that they were giving him a six-yard gain when he could have had the 50-yard strike. There were just moments where I thought, you know, if this is such a flag-happy team – or uh flag happy officiating crew. Why not try to exploit that? I mean, you're the chiefs. You're so hard to cover. And it just seemed like the play design was a little bit lazy. Um, and I know that's a, that's a harsh criticism, but it was a little bit lazy. It didn't seem like it had been thought out in terms of how they were supposed to prepare for this defense, this officiating crew. And that's why I think it lands squarely on number one, Andy Reid. Um, and ultimately, I, I just, I've just i never seen Andy Reid out-coach um, his opposing coaches at that level of a game. I've seen him out-talent many times. Uh, I've seen him out-talent with Brian Westbrook, Dawkins, Terrell Owens, Donovan McNabb. I've seen him out-talent with Mahomes and Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and miko Harbman, right? But I, I've never seen – a game plan where Andy Reed goes into a game of that stature. And I go, wow, Andy Reed is really putting together a masterpiece here. And I think he gets bailed out last year uh, by a combination of the greatest talented quarterback of all time, a couple missed calls. And you're also going up against a coach that for some reason is a fantastic coach until the fourth quarter of a super bowl. And then he shrinks away from what got him there uh, in Kyle Shanahan. And so uh, as good as that was for Andy Reid's legacy last year, uh, I'll say this. I think he moved from a lock um, first ballot, you know, type of hall of fame coach. I think now I'm starting to consider, you know, how much is this guy being carried um, by the talent that's been placed by fantastic front offices um, and drafting and free agent signings. It just seems like, could there have been, You know, despite the injury problems, if there was a different coach out there, Carson, could there have been at least more of a fight from this Chiefs team? Personally, I think so.
2: I do wonder if just because I agree with a lot of what you highlighted. I think that the underneath stuff was there. I think the Chiefs should have been running the ball early and often in this game. And yeah, that's not their identity, but that's what was there. And you have to take what was there when you're going off when you're going against a defense that was playing at such a high level. I do wonder if the Chiefs just weren't expecting the Bucs to take this approach because although it is, I would say the most effective way to counter the Chiefs, that being rushing four and dropping two safeties high, everything that we saw the Bucs do effectively, perfectly in this pass game, it's not what they did in week 12. Week 12, they were that more gamble heavy Bucks defense. We saw them let up so much to Tyreek just getting behind the defense. And although it obviously didn't work for them I wonder if Andy thought that's how they played us the first time. Maybe we see something more similar to that this time, and he couldn't have been more wrong about that, obviously.
4: And Carson, the one point that I'll bring up about the preparation that the Bucs did, I think that they spent a lot of time watching tape from the nineteen ninety Super Bowl, hmm. Bucks Giants, and you think about exactly what we're talking—or not Bucks Giants, Bills Giants—and hmm. uh, you think about revolutionary offenses at the time, Jim Kelly, the K-Gun offense, the no huddle, it's kind of, we're in a similar period of transition in the national football league where you have the RPO style offense that the chiefs have mastered. They are the origin and the master of what the modern day RPO should look like. Um, And basically again, I mean, as, as we all know, um, what Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells did in that game is they said, we will let Thurman Thomas run six yards a pop and it's the bills just didn't take it. They did not take it. And it was because of their arrogance that they had mopped over everyone with their style of offense for the previous season that kind of got them in that situation. I think, you know, is there a correlation between the type of style of defense that Brady came from in new England that he carried over with him uh, and established I'm not saying that Brady's coaching the defense. I'm just saying that that type of preparation, the influence that the man has over the coaching staff, did that play a factor? It's certainly something for me to consider because the parallels between that game and this
3: game are striking to me.
2: Logan, who do you think is the most deserving of, of the most blame out of anyone on the Chiefs' side?
3: Well, no, I completely agree with Jack. Uh, I think that uh, it, it falls on Andy Reid. And uh, like what he said, it's a re- there's a reason that Andy Reid lost three straight uh, NFC Championship games in the mid-2000s. And there's a reason that we are bringing up this storyline of him once again. And I think, uh, to your point, Jack, I think that there is a big chance that this is a knock on him when he gets that uh, that Hall of Fame um, nomination. There was a complete reluctancy to do anything different in the game to even go back to what worked in the previous season. You both say that they had mastered the RPOs. I do think that, but the RPO and play action system is predicated on pre-snap movement. And yet I didn't see Tyreek Hill go in motion all that much in this game. I didn't see Michael Hardman go in motion that much game. They just said, yeah, all right, you know, we're going to send four verts. We're going to hope that the Bucks don't do anything different. Um, and onto that point of reluctancy to change things. They protected Pat with five guys, 92% of their dropbacks. And with how Mike Remmers was getting pushed around on that left side, how the offensive line was getting bullied, you can't tell me they couldn't have subbed in another tight end, another fullback, another running back. Somebody just helped Pat back there. They didn't change it, though. They just said, it's Einstein. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. That's insanity. And it was insane that Andy Reid didn't change anything when it was so so clear that this isn't working. And Andy Reid decided not to change anything mid-game. I expected, Carson, we talked about this. I said that oh, we're going to see a different Chiefs team in the second half. And they didn't. They didn't do anything different. They said, <laughs> we're going to beat you brute force. We're going to do the same thing we've been doing all year long. And the Bucs game plan perfectly against it. So I put this squarely on the shoulders of Andy Reid and his coaching staff and their reluctancy to be dynamic.
2: Yeah, I think that's another great point, Logan. And I will say, to me, it goes probably number one is still the O-line. But I think, obviously, you attribute that to injuries. And then Andy Reid is pretty close behind. I'm not ready to necessarily crucify him as a coach. I think he is one of the most innovative offensive play callers I've ever seen. Now, we didn't see as much of it yesterday, but when it's come to red zone situations and third and fourth and shorts and everything that maybe is empowered by these crazy weapons and quarterbacks, he's been pretty phenomenal. And I think you talk about the insanity complex there. It makes a little more sense when you've never been stopped by anybody doing what you do best. And maybe because of this, we do see a Chiefs team that is a little bit different. And I certainly think They'll win probably a couple more with Andy Reid at the helm. He is getting up there, so I don't know how long he'll be coaching, but I definitely expect to see him bolster that Hall of Fame resume. But let's look at the other side of this because Jack, obviously, you have sort of dropped in a few comments about Brady throughout. I know that you're obviously a big advocate of his career, oh, yeah. As he, I think, yeah, which I think is pretty well deserved at this point. Do you think that Brady was the deserving Super Bowl MVP? Because he did get his fifth of the career of his career, and how much credit does he deserve for? this individual win and for the success of this Bucks team as a whole.
4: Well, I, I, he's definitely the deserving MVP. I think you have to take – the Super Bowl MVP is, is, a, is a little bit of a broken system because sometimes it's the best player in the game, uh, despite the fact that the guy that brought you there and the reason you're even in the game also played well. And I'll give an example, Desmond Howard, Green Bay Packers. Uh, and I'm a Michigan guy. I like seeing Des when the most valuable player, but Brett Favre deserved that trophy. Um, Tom Brady absolutely deserved the most valuable player because I mean, let's be honest, as great as the defense is uh, they're the Chicago bears without Tom Brady at the helm. In my opinion, I I think that Tom Brady, what he brings to a team is not just his incredible ability on the football field, which cannot be denied. Uh, And I think that, they should hang the picture of Brady looking flabby and out of shape at his, uh, at his draft combine. I believe they should hang that up in the Smithsonian uh, as evidence that anything is possible, folks. Um, but most importantly, I think what he brings to the team is leadership. And I, I'm willing to say that he's, he's the greatest leader in American sports history uh, because of the way that he energizes his team – and the way that he introduces them to the process of winning. It's very much the same. It's very much like a kinder, gentler way of how Kobe Bryant tried to energize his team. You have to be there 6 a.m. every morning. And Kobe did it by kind of being an ass to his teammates and ostracizing himself. Uh, And and then later in his career, um, he kind of took on the more veteran leadership role. Brady's been that guy his entire life. Uh, He's been the underdog and he understands kind of the work that it took for him. And therefore he can impart as a great athlete, he's in a very weird dichotomy because Brady is not only the greatest to ever do it, but he worked his way up from basically the bottom to the top. And we look at this time and time again, great coaches were not great players but they understood how to become serviceable players by learning the skills and the tools of the trade and the different crafty ways that they can either score in basketball, get in front of the net in hockey, that you can craft yourself around a golf course where guys are hitting a 350 and you can only hit a 290. There are so many ways. Those are the guys that become the greatest teachers. Brady has taught himself to be the greatest of all time. And in part, he has taught his teammates time and time again, winning recipe. And he did it again on Sunday.
2: I think that that is a very strong case for the greatness of Brady. And I think that it's very well put to me, looking at this individual game, I would not say that he was the most deserving player because you talk about the bucks, maybe being the Chicago bears, if they don't have Brady there, the Bears have one of the worst possible starting quarterbacks in football. So it's a little black and white there. And I think that ultimately the defense is 100% what won them this game. The Bucks' offense played well, but it's the defense that stood out. And so I will take the most outstanding player from that end of the ball. I think it's Shaq Barrett. I already read his stats earlier. It's just mind-blowing. Eight pressures, four QB hits, a sack. And I think that Brady, of course, deserves credit. But in this individual game, he completed three passes, more than 10 yards downfield, threw for 190 yards, And he won a game in which maybe the best offense ever opposite him scored nine points. So to me, maybe it tells the story of the season to talk about Brady and his greatness. It doesn't tell the story of this game. And I think that that's what's important to remember. Brady may be the guy who is immortalized from this win. This is genuinely maybe the best game I've ever seen a defense play. I did not think this was possible against the Chiefs. And it just happened. So that's why I would give credit to that side of the ball.
3: I completely agree with you, Carson. I think Brady deserves a lot of the credit for the leadership, as you put, Jack, um, for getting a lot of guys here, for getting everyone to buy in on this team. But uh, to your point, Carson, Patrick Mahomes has never been handled like this. Uh, The second least yardage for a game where he completed 26 passes, the least yardage for a game where he attempted 49 outside of the pocket. He was 415 for 28 yards with two picks. Uh, on third down, he was four of 12 with an interception. This is the first double-digit loss of Patrick Mahomes' career. This is the first loss in which the Chiefs didn't manage an offensive touchdown. So it, it, with what Shaq Barrett did all game, I completely agree. I think it has to be someone on that side of the ball, and uh, Shaq Barrett was clearly the, um, the catalyst for that defense. I think certainly the counterpoint to that,
4: as I've kind of established my position on this side of the argument, is that you know we've established already in this podcast that the Chiefs maybe have a little more offensive success if they take what the defense gave them. And I think their inability to do that allowed Shaq Barrett, those amounts of pressures and quarterback hits. I think their reliance on sending four verts down the field and trying to get the receivers open the way they always have allowed Shaq Barrett to have the type of game he did. I think if they had an emphasis on bubble screens, motion and quick RPO snaps, slants to Tyreek Hill, quick cooks, quick outs to Travis Kelsey. I don't think he has the type of game and the type of impact that he does. I think he is almost granted a great game by the inability of the chiefs coaching staff to adapt at the start of the game. And then coming out of the locker room in the second half
3: to think- counter argue your take then, uh, uh, Jack I would say though I don't think that Tom Brady was the biggest reason and why the offense was successful I would say their establishment of the ground game with how Leonard Fournette and Rojo played uh, 150 total yards on the ground I think if it was run one running back that did that I think they get Super Bowl MVP instead of Brady and again all of his touchdowns were on play action passes so I think that the entire reason that the offense was successful in this game was because they were able to establish the run against a uh, Chiefs defense that had been su- uh, susceptible to that uh, you know, aspect of the offense all season long.
4: Yeah, and ultimately, I think that the ground game for the Bucks, which in my opinion I'd watched the entire season, had been a little bit underwhelming, kind of got going in this game more than I'd seen them all season long. And I had watched games with the Bucs all season thinking, what happened to – 2017 Leonard Fournette all of a sudden lo and behold he shows up in the most important game he's ever played in his career so there's a very good argument to be made that the ground game set up Tom Brady in the same way that the Chiefs lack of adjustments set up Shaq Barrett in my opinion it could have gone either way I'm just going to stick with Brady because the overall portrait of the season leading up into the game and the way he influenced his team and the preparation that allowed them to prepare the way that they did for the greatest offense. One of the greatest offenses of all time, in my opinion, is going to go to Tom Brady.
2: Well, Logan, you took the words right out of my mouth. in that point that you made there, I agree. I think the run game was the most essential part. So that's why to me, if Brady wasn't the most important on his own side of the ball, I don't know if I can give it to him, but let's continue with the Brady talk here. Shift gears a little bit though, in the direction that we take it because Jack, I know that, as I said, you have been a big Brady advocate, and I think you have very eloquently stated why today on this podcast, but I saw you at one point say that you thought that he was the greatest athlete of all time. Is that correct? Is that what you said?
4: Did I say that last night, or did I just say that at some point?
2: I feel like I say a lot of
4: things. You. Maybe so. I'm just
2: quoting. Okay, do you believe that?
4: Do I believe he's the greatest athlete of all time? Uh, well, it, it depends how I define athlete. Um, I, I, I believe – For example, like the most talented of all time in terms of athleticism uh, probably would have to go somewhere with Mahomes or Randy Moss. Um, The greatest to ever do it, uh, the greatest at his position, the greatest man to ever don a chin strap, shoulder pads, and a helmet is, yeah, it's Tom Brady. Uh, In terms of all sports, is that kind of what you're asking?
2: Yeah, because I've heard that debate emerge a lot. And it's not sure. my favorite debate because I think it's really hard to gauge that. But if you had a case, I would be interested in hearing it. If yeah, you won't, though, I don't want yeah, no, to force I,
4: you. I, no, I I, appreciate the question because I, I feel like I'm acutely uh, qualified to answer this question considering the, the pure breadth of sports that I take in. I think when people try to argue, uh, they try to argue between Jordan and Brady. Um, I, I would open that up uh, even further. I would open that up in terms of great people at their position in sports, I would have to include the man whose hat I'm wearing right now, Tiger Woods. I would have to include uh, Jimmy Johnson, uh, one of the greatest NASCAR drivers of all time. I know, I know everybody likes to roll their eyes, but the fact of the matter is, is that the people that have watched the types of sports, uh, the individual sports, I would even have to rank a, a type of guy like Federer in there the type of consistency that he has brought throughout his entire career echoes the type of consistency that Brady did. I think the argument that I would make for Tom Brady is this, that I would knock on Tiger Woods uh, and Michael Jordan. Consistency. Uh, I, the man just really never really struggles. And I know that Jordan had his moments where he, it wasn't that he struggled, it was that he lost his drive for the game. Uh, And he retired, he stepped away, and he did something that shocked the world, but ultimately got him the next three titles. Uh, So I think that's the argument for Brady, you know, that he never needed a break, that he's done the grind every season since the year 2000. I think that's an argument in favor of Brady. I think that there are pure athleticism moments. Yeah, I would probably have to say Jordan. I would probably have to say Tiger. I would probably have to say other athletes that have just wowed us with their fantastic ability, even a guy like a Sidney Crosby or a Wayne Gretzky, in terms of, you know, Michael Phelps, the way he dominated the sport. Um, but the consistency of the way that Brady did it – I mean, Phelps had in his standards a very underwhelming 2012 London Olympic Games, uh, and, and there are many times where – I just haven't really seen Brady underwhelmed too much. I mean, I could say '09 against the Ravens. I could say 2010 against uh, the Jets. I think that's probably his worst playoff loss, in my opinion, is against that Jets Rex Ryan team. But that's a that's a fantastic defense that was undermined by a mediocre Mark Sanchez. Uh, and we found out how bad Mark Sanchez was later on. Um, I would have to say that's his worst playoff loss. And that being his worst worst playoff loss, I mean, the man has. More Super Bowls than the Eagles franchise, and the Eagles beat him to get their first Super Bowl. And since that game, he has more Super Bowls than their entire franchise history, which is about 80 years. So I, I think that, again, any argument has to circle back to the fact that the man has won seven championships in a game that requires 53 people to succeed. And that's my knock against a Jordan, a Tiger, a Jimmy Johnson, people of Federer along those lines, because ultimately, he has rallied so many people around him in the locker room so many times. And I think, in my opinion, if you were to make the case that he was number one, that would be the case that I would make.
2: That's so fascinating because that, to me, is the exact knock on any football player as the greatest of all time, is that unless you are so far above your other peers, respectively, like a Jerry Rice, who is 40-something touchdowns above second place, 5,000-plus yards above second place in receiving – he was, he is so far outside of everybody else's clout, class there. I think that the 53-man argument says that the individual athlete's impact is devalued in football compared to other sports. It is the ultimate team sport. And I actually saw Theo Ash, a fellow Cronkite student, tweet out basically that exactly today. And it resonated with me because I think that individual athletes... Have so much stronger cases to be the greatest of all time if we're comparing sports, which I think is very hard to do. But since people are doing it, might as well talk about it. Just because there's no variables that are not in their control. We're not in the locker room every day. We can't really say, does Tom Brady elevate people on the defensive side of the ball? We certainly can't say when Tom Brady won his first three Super Bowls in four years, was he doing that? We just don't know. And when I look at a guy like a Federer or a Tiger Woods, I just think, or a Michael Phelps that kind of individual dominance is so indisputable that I lean that direction. I think even basketball, the impact of an individual player is still much more disproportionate than it is in football because you can carry the load so much more. So it's an interesting debate. Um, But Brady does not stand out to me as the guy there. And part of it is circumstance. He is the greatest quarterback of all time. In my opinion, the accomplishments absolutely speak to that. I just think, when you have you know so many great lines, when you have so many great defenses, can I isolate you and say, you are the best across every sport that has existed to man to do it? I can't get there personally.
3: And I think when we're looking at other football players, if it was positionless, I would include Jerry Rice. I'd have Lawrence Taylor on that short list as well. As it pertains to Brady, I don't think he's the greatest athlete ever, but I think he's the most accomplished individual player, individual athlete in any team sport of all time. And I Maybe you could argue Michael Jordan just because of six rings. Bill and again, Bill, yeah, Bill Russell as well. Actually, Carson, who are you taking then? Would you go Bill or would you go Brady?
2: For most accomplished? Yeah. Well, I'm taking Bill because he's five-time MVP, 11-time champion in 13 years. And if they had Depoy, would have been, God knows, nine-time Depoy or something.
3: Yeah. Is there any? Is there anybody else uh, above Brady then?
2: In team sports? I don't think so.
3: Okay. Well, Robert I agree Bush. with
2: a lot – Robert <laughs> makes his own case,
4: just you know seven timers club
2: and listen multiple locations you look at the common thread
4: i mean just, you man. want to talk about the way that robert Horry elevated his team in the locker room
2: i don't think we can deny it
4: i don't
3: think so i mean the records speak for itself sorry logan <laughs> continue please no 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 i i think robert hori is definitely up there <laughs> um <laughs> As for individual athletes, I definitely think Tiger Woods is probably up there. I'd probably have – I'd still have other guys in team sports, I think, if we're looking at just individual athletes. I'd have Rice above him. I'd have Jordan above him. I'd have a bunch of individual guys, Tiger Woods, Federer. But as as it pertains to team sports, I think it's a very short list with Brady on it.
2: Yeah, and the team versus individual dynamic is an interesting one because I said to Logan earlier today, to quite a bit of outrage from him, that I thought there had been four tennis players in this century – who I would have higher in my greatest athlete of all time rankings than Tom Brady because there are people who have so far surpassed the previous standard for the best ever in their sport.
0: All
4: right, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic.
2: And I'm saying Serena from the women's side. Oh,
4: Serena, yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah.
2: But but really, I don't think we're going to decide anything there. I wanted to dip our toes in, though, just because when we have a – a Brady enthusiast here, um, and I think you've made a lot of really strong points. I wanted to, to delve into that. But let's get back to specifically on the football side of things because we've talked about everything that went wrong for Kansas City. It was also really an oddity in the few years that we've seen of their franchise. They've never had a performance like this. So did we see any permanent cracks in this game that will continue to be an issue for the Chiefs? Logan, what do you think? I would say we... I don't think we saw any
3: permanent cracks that aren't fixable. I mean, I think we saw a few cracks in general. I think one of them is, again, Andy Reid's reluctancy to prepare well. I also think that we saw Brett Veach's impact on this team rear its ugly head just because personnel-wise he is not drafted well. I think that I think that they're all fixable issues, though. I think they need to fix up their linebacking core. They need to get another edge rusher. Um, But as for permanent cracks, I don't think that there's anything that you can't fill through the draft or through free agency or with preparation because, more importantly, at the end of the day, uh, as Gabe Swartz likes to say, we have Patrick Mahomes. So uh, there won't be any permanent cracks in this team that Patrick Mahomes can't fill in, but I do think that there are smaller ones that need to be addressed in the draft, that need to be addressed in free agency, and uh, potentially maybe in the coaching staff.
2: I agree. I don't really think there are any permanent cracks in the armor. I would just say we saw that the Bucs pass rush is that good and the Chiefs were down a couple guys opposite them and the Bucs executed this formula to perfection, but I think we knew that, that was the formula. So as long as the Chiefs are able to bolster that all line, get everybody back healthy, figure out what they're going to do with Coleccio Semele this off season, if they draft a replacement for him, then I think that they will probably be back as strong as ever next season. What do you think, Jack? Are there any permanent cracks in the armor that we saw from the Chiefs?
4: No, no permanent cracks in the armor. I just think it's another – it's a year that went by without a championship. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're only going to get so many. You're on borrowed time in the NFL. And and that's the point that we were talking about against Brady being the greatest athlete of all time is a, is going against Patrick Mahomes currently in his career today mm-hmm. is the fact that you have to pool a 53-man roster that is – for the most part, better than 80 to 85% of the league. And then, well, I would, I would probably say 90% of the league. And then you can have a transcendent athlete make up that 10%. And I think that speaks to the greatness of the quarterback position in Kansas City. But again, they have a great team and a great core that has been assembled for quite a while, though, in Kansas City. Um, and the clock is ticking uh, on in terms of how they're going to keep it together because it's going to be tough. And then the second point is, Uh, So, yeah, you're going to have cap issues going forward. You're going to have to pay somebody. You're going to have to cut somebody. You can't keep everybody, and that's the beauty of the way the NFL is constructed. Uh, It's just so anti-dynasty that it just, again, highlights how remarkable the Patriots' run was for 17 years. Um, The other part about it, though, is when I look at the Patriots' dynasty, there was a challenger. Uh, There was Peyton Manning, um, who is – the next Peyton Manning to challenge Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he's going to walk through the AFC untouched like he has the last three years. Is it going to be Lawrence? Is it going to be, who is it going to be? Is it going to come out of the next few drafts? Is it going to be Justin Fields? It's probably, <laughs> not
2: going to be Justin Fields. I don't know. I, I feel uh, like you're dancing around who it is. Uh, could it be Jaden Daniels? I don't know. I, I mean, I'd say that it's the man that he just knocked out. I think that the team that is most likely to get the chiefs at some point is the quarterback who is most likely to outduel him is absolutely Josh Allen. And I think that I am and saying I like that. I think that I am saying that without any bias coloring that opinion, I truly believe that to be the case. And if we just see him sustain the level that he jumped to this year, and by the way, there's reason to believe that maybe he could continue to elevate his game because he was a completely different football player this year than he was the year before. I think that he is certainly the prime contender. I'm not gonna say he's Peyton Manning, but I think that if you're looking for the equivalent, I also think Depending on where Deshaun lands, if he does prioritize a roster that is ready to compete now, now maybe he's twisted in the head and he does really want to go to the Jets, but if he wants to go somewhere that has a legitimate roster, I could see him being that guy as well.
4: Yeah, and I, I really like the Josh Allen uh, comparison, and, and you know what I said earlier in the podcast, I'm bullish on the Bills going forward, uh, and I don't think that the path is going to be as easy for the Chiefs as it once was. But now that they faced a little bit of adversity at the highest stage, um, I think they will, you know, it could go one of two ways. It could fall apart like it did in Seattle, or it could, you know, strengthen the resolve. I think it's going to strengthen the resolve of this team. I think they're a force as long as number 15 is in the backfield and they have some of the pieces around them. But again, Brady has had three to four distinct chapters of his career, and we're still in chapter one for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, And he happened to land, in my opinion, since Tom Brady, the best position for a generational quarterback that he's ever landed in. Um, You know, just the weapons were already there. They had already been a one seed. Um, And so, you know, it it was a very fortunate landing spot for Patrick Mahomes. And and that's ultimately, you know, I am my Brady enthusiast? Did I relish in the Chiefs' misery yesterday? Yes, I did. And that's because it's not the Chiefs fans haven't been miserable. I mean, they sat through 2-14 with Matt Castle – it's that as soon as their, you know, Messiah arrived, he was already he wasn't born in a manger. He was born in the freaking castle, um, and so in in the penthouse in the castle, um, and so yeah, I would like to see Pat Mahomes have a little bit of adversity. I'd like to see him maybe not with the best receiving core, undoubtedly, in the National Football League. And I think those two uh, scenarios that you play out with the Bills rise and kind of the Chiefs look into the Super Bowl window and now wondering how much time they have with this core, I think that plays for fantastic storylines, and it makes the Chiefs a lot more likable, in my opinion, because now, instead of this invincible team, uh, they're going to have to deal with the problems that us normal fan bases have to deal with.
2: So, among those problems, obviously, they're not going to be able to retain this roster forever, and maybe there aren't many huge names who are – upcoming free agents this year. But Logan, when you look at this roster, we've talked about how maybe there aren't permanent cracks, but what do they have to do to have the best chance to come back to the Super Bowl next year and ultimately win it? I just think you
3: have to draft right now. I've talked to Peyton about this, and Peyton seems to think that the Chiefs need another wide receiver. While I think, I mean... I don't think you can ever go wrong with getting another big wide out for Patrick Mahomes, but I think there are other big holes that you need to address. Uh, this offensive line is kind of aging up there. I think you need to just get depth in general there. I think you need to get um, more linebackers. This linebacking core was the weak spot. It's why Fournette and Rojo were able to get past that front four with their awesome blocking up front. Um, and then bully them because, again, the Chiefs drop safeties all season long. They've been trusting Sorensen and Matthews, so I think you need to get some linebacker that is going to be able to change the game dynamically there. Maybe another edge rusher. Honestly, I'd pull a Green Bay, and I would go full focus on the line, in the trenches, and on the defensive side of the ball because, at the end of the day, when you have the greatest quarterback of all time, I think wideout is a wrong move. I think you can kind of fill in anybody as long as Andy Reid is scheming it up right. You have Tyreek Hill, you have Travis Kelsey. I mean, what else do you really need um, on the outside? I think I would focus fully on the interior. I would focus fully on the defense, and I would let it ride with that because at least if you do that, you at least have depth for the coming years to progress some younger guys, and you will still be young on that side of the ball because. When you have Patrick Mahomes, there's no real need to focus on offensive skill position players, in my opinion. And you have a really good young running back in Clyde Edwards-Alaire.
2: Jack, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I think he he brings up a lot of great points. Again, I mean, if we're just comparing Brady and Mahomes uh, in in this podcast about a game that they just played in, uh, yeah, I I would say uh, why draft a receiver? Um, And and I I mean – for 92% of the time, I agree with with Peyton's opinion. I, I think he was a little bullish on Remy Martin, uh, Naismith Player of the Year, after five minutes of ASU's opening game of the year uh, against Rhode Island. Um, uh, but, again, how many times, you know, when I think about Brady, how many times did they draft a receiver? I mean, they, they got the guy help, like, one time, I, and, and they – they they stole Gronk in the second round from, from Arizona. That was a great pickup. Uh, and, and that's another one where, you know, they get Gronk, he happens to work out, and everybody thinks Bilichek is this grand drafting wizard. Um, but they got Randy Moss, and that's about it what they got for Tom Brady. And they put pieces on the defense consistently around him, whether it was the McCourties, Patrick Chun, a fantastic linebacking core with Rob Nikovich. Um, that's how you support your quarterback. You get your offensive line, and people say, well, okay, well, Brady's always had a great offensive line and a great defense. Well, why has Brady had a great offensive line and great defense? He's gone to his coach, and he's gone to his front office, and he said, hey, I'm not going to take the most money from you, and I don't want you to draft receivers. If I have any say in the matter, I want you to support me with great offensive line play and great defense because that's going to make us a balanced rushing attack, and we're going to have a good pass rush, good cornerback play, Uh, and great linebacking play. And that's been the formula for Brady his entire career, and it played out again in Kansas City uh, or against Kansas City. Yeah, Logan, you make a great point, though. Cornerbacks. The Chiefs need cornerbacks. They need to get their pass rush set up correctly because they have good pass rush, but oftentimes you're getting torched um, on underneath routes in the situations where cornerbacks should shine five to – 10 yards off the line of scrimmage um, where they're just struggling right now. And, and that's how you support your quarterback. You get your defense off the field. You give them the time and possession.
2: Yeah. I think the corner is probably the number one need. I think that's probably where you go in the first round of the draft because let Rashad Breeland walk. He's a free agent. And I would say good riddance if I were a Chiefs fan. And I think if you'll get that secondary, you probably do want to bring back Daniel Sorensen, one of their better players there. I think the weapons conversation is an interesting one because – You do have Sammy Watkins and DeMarcus DeMarcus Robinson, both expiring. If you were going to make the case for one, I would certainly say it's Sammy because when he's out there, he can be a dynamic weapon. I'm not paying Sammy Watkins at this point though, when he's going to play half the games in the season. So I think that you do let him walk and maybe you draft a guy, maybe it's in the lower rounds, or maybe you just try to find somebody in the depth of this roster. Maybe Hardman has a bigger role. He's not necessarily that reliable down to down guy that maybe they need, but I also think the offensive line is an interesting point to look at because it is what let them down here, and they're kind of at a crossroads there. As I mentioned, Coleccio Semele is a free agent now. I think with the fact that he has barely played over the last two seasons, as great as he was in Oakland, I think you replace him in the draft. Maybe that's actually your number one need. I think that Eric Fisher is an interesting choice because he's been so good, but coming off of a torn ACL at his age – I think you need to make an assessment of how much faith you have in him. Is he a guy who you want to keep around or do you want to cut him, replace him in the draft? I think that also Ryder, their center is expiring. So you have to make a decision there. Do you want to go with a younger guy or do you want to pay him? So it's all going to be interesting. And as you mentioned, Jack, we are going to see for a long time, the impact of Mahomes taking the $500 million deal because You look at so many of these guys and say you just have to let them walk. In an ideal world, I would like to bring Sammy Watkins back, not with the cap limitations that this team is going to be walking straight into. So I think that we agree on some of the main issues there. Let's look at the other side for the Bucs. How legitimate of a threat are they to repeat, and what do they have to do to best position themselves to be maybe a favorite in that conversation again?
3: So, I mean, like the Chiefs, they're going to have to manage their money right. They've got a lot of free agents to pay this offseason. Shaq Barrett, Levante David, Gronk, Indomitian Sue, Fournette, uh, Antonio Brown, and Chris Godwin. But I think they're kind of decently likely to be in the conversation next season just because of how young this defense is and what we saw them do. I mean, Devin White's 22, Winfield's 22, Whitehead's 23, uh, Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis are both 24. I mean, this defense – Is young, they are only going to get better, and they're deep. They've got a great defensive coordinator and Todd Bowles if they can hold on to him. And again, as we've said, Brady's success has always been I'm not going to say that all of Brady's success has just been because of great defenses and offensive lines, but when you put them around any quarterback, they're going to be more successful. And what better weapons to have around than the smartest quarterback of all time, the greatest quarterback of all time? Um. I think weapons-wise – now, this isn't to say that Brady doesn't scare me because our knock on Brady is still relevant in this next season. When the Buccaneers don't get the run game going and they can't get the play action going and defenses can get pressure home, Brady crumbles, but it didn't really seem to matter in the playoffs. So, man, dude. Well, it I mattered. Predict- it mattered against the Packers. It did. You're right. But I don't know, man. I predicted the Bucks to win eight games this season, so I may not be the best to go to on this. Um – I'm not going to predict a big Brady fall off. I think the Buccaneers are going to be in the conversation again, because I'm never going to count against that man with a great O line and with a great defense.
4: Yeah. I would have to say, uh, the NFC is about as weak as I can remember it in my lifetime. Um, probably as weak as it was during the transitional period, uh, in 2006 when breeze was just getting going, uh, in new Orleans. And then you had Rex Grossman and, you know, a fine Chicago bears defense go to the super bowl. But, but let's be honest that Chicago bears team had no right to even spit in the direction of Peyton Manning that year. Um, I would have to say, look, let's look at the teams, uh, you know, by, I'll I'll just run through divisional, uh, in terms of the NFC. I mean, the NFC West, I think the 49ers, uh, you know, their IR could have made the playoffs this year. Um, and so, you know, They have to take a deep look at whatever's going on in that training room. I I think that that seems like an angered fan point, Uh, but I think it's valid after two out of the last three years you've had your team, you know, ripping ACLs um, like I'm opening Ziploc bags. Um, Besides that, the Rams. I I mean, I I just, we can't ignore the Rams. This is a team that is just like the Buccaneers trying to follow the blueprint of win now mode. They finally have a quarterback. I think we're going to find out simultaneously how bad Jared Goff was for the Rams and how good Matthew Stafford could have been had he not been on the worst franchise in football, let's be honest. The Detroit Lions are the worst franchise in football. Uh, then, you know, in the North, I think the Packers are on borrowed time. I don't see anybody else coming out of the North unless the Bears do some real soul-searching on offense. The South, I think the Bucks are your best bet. I mean, where are the Falcons – Uh, in kind of their stage with Matt Ryan. Uh, The Panthers are two to three years away. They still need to find a chance to put a winning team around Christian McCaffrey. Uh, And then the Saints, again, another team. They're in cap hell. They're in flux. Uh, Their quarterback's retiring. And Taysom Hill is a five- to six-win quarterback. I'm sorry. Um, And then the NFC East. The Cowboys uh, are always tripping themselves up. The Washington football team has – probably a top four to three defense in the NFC, maybe even higher than that. I really love what they've done uh, in terms of Dan Snyder, finally getting out of the way of football operations and allowing Ron Rivera um, and that front office to orchestrate the roster. I think they're a solid quarterback away from actually really surprising some people and maybe contending, making a divisional round in the same run that the Cleveland Browns made this year. Uh, Outside of that, though, it's just who's going to stop the Bucks and who's going to stop Tom Brady. In my opinion, I think the 49ers, I would give them the second best odds behind Tampa Bay at this current moment. And that all depends, Logan, to your point about how they manage their money and how they manage their free agents.
2: I would say that the Rams to me are an NFC co-favorite. I think they're going to be that good next year. And it'll be interesting to see how does the quarterback play compare between those two teams? Because We don't really have reason to believe that Brady is going to be any worse next year than he was this year. If he can throw the football from a clean pocket downfield at 43, I assume he can do the same thing at 44. And we've seen obviously some of the inconsistencies there. Throwing short doesn't maybe have as much zip. Sometimes the balls look a little wobbly. There's just not as much pace on them. And obviously he's incredibly immobile in the pocket. But despite all that, he was able to lead a team to a Super Bowl. And I imagine that would be the same case next year as long as the pieces around him are as strong all the guys who you mentioned, Logan, I think are must pay guys with Shaq and Sue and David and Gronk. And I think that the secondary is going to end up being one of the greatest gifts to this team that we ever could have imagined because they're so young and they don't have to pay those guys yet. So they can pay the guys up front and then maybe transition to a different group there as they have to pay the secondary. But I think we have every reason to believe this team will be as strong again next year. And you also made a good point, Jack, it's a weak NFC And I think that we have seen that we saw that plain and clear this year when I thought that the two best teams in football were in the AFC you can certainly debate that now that the Super Bowl champion comes out of the NFC and I just thought that there was not the same depth of talent in the NFC so we'll see if that changes with the Niners getting healthier with the Rams making that addition but I think the Bucks will be back and the prospect of a Super Bowl rematch is mouthwatering to me because that would be so fun to see play out. And I have to imagine we would get a much better game than we got this time around. So does anyone have any final thoughts on the game, on any of the discussions we've had before we go?
3: I do want to ask Jack while he's here, do you think the Niners need a quarterback to compete next season? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I
2: could be hard to play with only 10 guys and no one throwing the ball.
4: Emphasize that more. Um, I, I think that, you know, it's tough because the Niners were in position to take a quarterback in, in 2017. Uh, and, you know, when the uh, documentary and, and the Pat Mahomes movie comes out, unfortunately the Niners are going to be one of those teams that passed on them, uh, just like they passed on Rogers, just like they passed on Brady. I still think that if John Lynch somehow, some way executes that trade uh, and throws in a couple first rounders for Tom Brady in the 2017 offseason. We're looking at the 49ers as uh, defending Super Bowl champions uh, last year and maybe this year, depending on the way the injury luck works out. I think that they, just like Tampa Bay, have a very young uh, defensive front. They continue uh, to give those uh, troops reinforcements on the defensive line, which is kind of the bread and butter of their defense. Yeah, they have some question marks uh, in the secondary that I think they're going to have to address. But ultimately, it comes down to the quarterback position. That's a good, that's a good, great question, Logan. Uh, because, yeah, I, I don't know if Deshaun Watson is the right quarterback for Kyle Shanahan's system. And, and people have kind of referred to the one-year delay with Shanahan uh, in, in kind of importing all of the mechanics and all of the technical aspects of his offense, uh, such as. Um, Matt Ryan having a struggling 2015 campaign than an MVP season in 2016. So who that guy's going to be, I didn't think it was going to be Matt Stafford. I thought Stafford was the wrong guy for the 49ers. I think that's really, in my opinion, you know, is an unbiased view, one of the more interesting storylines, uh, going into this nfl offseason because what the 49ers are going to do at the quarterback position could either end their super bowl window or extend them as contenders for the future because i think personally if they make the right choice they're going to outlast tom brady somehow some way
2: i completely agree and they do have a head start because brady as immortal as he may feel is 43 years old and i think at some point we are going to see maybe the cliff that Max Kellerman prophesied oh so accurately, or maybe Brady just retires at forty-seven after he's won a couple more Super Bowls and he's still on top of the sport. But thank you so much for coming on today, Jack. It was a pleasure talking football with you. It always is.
4: I got yeah. I just got one more thought. Uh, it has been so great to be on Nerd Sesh. This is without a doubt my favorite show uh at asu you guys do a tremendous job i'd love to be back on in the future um the last thought i have though yesterday the greatest commercial non-commercial for a brand since tiger woods chipped in at augusta and the nike logo paused on the edge of the cup and then it rolled in greatest commercial for the tb12 brand i think i might start it i mean you can say what you want about snake oil and this and that and pliability, blah, blah, blah. The fact of the matter is the dude's 43 and just won a Super Bowl for the seventh time. Okay. So, so there obviously must be some magic to his methods and I'm going to do a little bit of research this week and see if I can put any, uh, put any aspects of that in my life for uh, self-improvement. So thanks Tom.
2: I think there's a strong case to be made that Brady's just been doing this whole football thing to ultimately start, a self-improvement brand, and then outgain Giselle so people can stop talking about how his wife makes more money than him because people are always talking about that. But, Jack, it has been an absolute pleasure. As always, we very much appreciate you coming on. And that will do it for us here today. You can check out our Super Bowl preview was our last show. I don't know why you want to listen to that. Everything we said was terribly wrong, but it was a fun one nonetheless. You can follow us on Twitter at nerd underscore sesh, on Instagram at nerd sesh. And with that, I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden.
3: And I've been Jack Johnson.
2: And this was NerdZack.